The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is great to be with you at 6 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 7 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past seven in Newfoundland and Labrador and beyond the Americas. The 11th hour in London, midnight in Paris, 1 a.m. in Kiev, where they're still waiting for Biden to send in the Marines, 2 a.m. in Moscow, where Putin is now laughing his 12th pair of socks off. Half past two in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 4.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 7 a.m. Rather convivial 7 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. Hope you're enjoying the kippers and kedgeree. 10 a.m., at the Australian Open in Melbourne, if you're picking out your T-shirt for the day. And uh, Friday afternoon in Auckland and beyond. But wherever you are, we welcome you to a slightly later than usual edition of our Clubland Q&A. So let us get to it and see what questions you've come up with. Kate uh, Smythe. Is this a question? (laughs) It's quite a longish. Uh, well, it's hey, hi, Bark says Kate. Kate's the uh, doyen of Stein Club members in uh, New South Wales. Hi, Mark. Great interview on GB News with the author of Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich, Helping China Win. That was Peter Schweitzer. I was talking to him just two hours ago on the telly. Uh, And the largely untold story of how we in the West became more like China, betrayed by our globalist sellout ruling class in politics, business, academia and the arts. Yeah, uh, you can't really exaggerate how total an assault is. I mean, this this is why I can't bear to watch the um, the NATO maneuverings, because, you know, NATO, I believe, is uh, largely an alliance that has outlived its usefulness. And I felt this actually now oh, 20 years, 20 years, I think it would be. I'm trying to actually. Ah, yeah, it would be. It's, it's actually a little more than 20 years. The year 2000, I happened to be sitting at lunch next to Lord Carrington the former British Foreign Secretary, and uh, over the soup, uh, by way of an opening conversational gambit, Lord Carrington drawled at me, what is NATO for? And I said, well, hang on a minute, you were Secretary General of NATO until a couple of years ago. If you don't know, why why should I know? So the NATO Secretary General 20 years ago, uh, Lord Carrington, uh, didn't know what NATO was for. And 
meanwhile, China has taken over the world by using elements of power that people don't even think about as elements of power. Uh, but they're all the things that matter. If you can take over the world, who cares how many carrier groups you've got if, if you can take over the world without firing a shot? Anyway, Kate Smythe continues, the CCP has close ties with the World Economic Forum, which forges supranational public-private partnerships. The WEF, in conjunction with the Gates Foundation and Johns Hopkins, hosted Event 201. Is that right? A pandemic training exercise in New York City in late 2019 with an emphasis on the control of responses and information to better protect the public's health, unquote. As opposed to any secret conspiracies, would you agree that those who actually formulate and control the narrative on any issue, whether it's COVID or systemic racism or climate change, have unprecedented power at this point in history? There appears to be a lot of evidence that China and our elites have leveraged all of these issues as the basis of elite central planning on a global scale. I think that's undeniable. You know, I can't stand things like the Gates Foundation, to be honest. Well, one of the interesting things to do, it doesn't matter where you're living, really. You can try this anywhere on the planet. It doesn't matter who your prime minister or your president is or your uh, senator or your member of parliament. Just try Googling them and Bill Gates and see if a picture pops up of uh, Bill Gates with your guy. It's disturbing to me when I see uh, pictures of Bill Gates having a meeting with uh, the, um, you know, the health secretary, the Secretary of State for Health of the United Kingdom, for example, because I don't see why he he's not a citizen of uh, the United Kingdom. He's not a subject of the crown. He's someone who is just enormously rich and is getting richer. I think he just bought a $100 million estate in Hawaii. The gap, the gap between these people. And, and in case, and, and if you notice, these, this new kind of rich people, they aren't rooted anywhere in a way that even in the Gilded Age, in America, I'm not talking necessarily about uh, Lord Grantham and the Downton Abbey kind of thing where people are rooted in the area their earldom or their marquisate is named after. Uh, but even in the Gilded Age in America, uh, it, it was quite normal for rich people to become rich uh, more or less anywhere across the fruited plain and to stay there because that's where they were and that's where they were from. They might have an apartment in New York or whatever, but they came from somewhere. If you look at the, the property portfolios of people like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, they don't come from anywhere anymore. They are, they are literally globalist in that they're bigger than any country and they just happen to have homes all over the map. Um, and I don't see why. You know, and again, pe people have what bothers me, what really bothers me is how at a certain level – Millions of people have accepted in a democratic society in a way they didn't quite in the age of absolute monarchy that the ruling class are 
so different from them. You know, I can't get over the number of people. I, I, the, the thing came up on GB News about uh, Liz Truss, the uh, British Foreign Secretary, taking a half million pound private flight. Now, that's nothing in America, obviously, because you have uh, you could you have your really piffling politicians whom nobody could care less about flying hither and yon on private planes. OK, that's just the way it is in America. But it didn't used to be this way in other countries. And and for a foreign secretary whom 99.99 percent of the population, not just in Tajikistan or Slovenia or Tuvalu wouldn't recognize, but 99.99% of the population in her own country wouldn't recognize. There's, and and, and I, pointed, I pointed this out. There's no need for her to be. It's, out, it's ridiculous. And the number of people who said, who wrote, who, who wrote, oh, she's the foreign secretary. She's got all this uh, top secret information that she couldn't talk about on a commercial flight. The number of people who now and particularly since the COVID, have taken it as read that our rulers lead different lives. We're stuck. We can't go anywhere without producing this or that vaccination uh, certificate or this or that booster shot or this or that negative test result. So everything's shut down. But our rulers can still all fly around meeting each other at Davos. This is far worse. You know, I, I love the way the bores of the world want to fight last century's wars. You know, this is nothing like, this is, however bad you think absolute monarchy is, however bad you think the Russian Tsar is, he was Russian and he was rooted in Russia and he was rooted in the ways of Russia, in the mores of Russia. And this thing now where, where the, the people at the very top have become disconnected from anything as fruitless. I remember Michael Ignatiev. Do you remember him? He was a big BBC telly presenter in the 80s and then he was briefly leader of the Canadian Liberal Party a couple of years ago. And he said, and he wrote a book. He, he was uh, to, for his election campaign. He published a book, one of these tedious books that people put out uh, that sort of says who they are and anything. And and Canada, he said this: Canada is the place that, if I ever needed one, would always be home. <laughs> He's so he was so totally and we all made jokes about it at the time. It's only a decade ago, but we all had the laugh of our lives. He's so postmodern. He doesn't need a home. Well, now they're all like that, aren't they? They have tons of homes. They're like Joe Biden. Joe Biden has a fabulous property portfolio for someone who's been living on a public servant's income for 50 years. Uh, but they're all. But they all have lots of homes, and yet they have no home in the sense of a country, a land. They have no feeling for it, do they? Very weird. Very weird. 
George Perot says, Mark, I finished watching GB News just a short time ago. Well... That's because I uh, only came off the air a short time ago. Uh, George says, you were extraordinary. Fox ought to be ashamed for their cowardice for not having you on. The one-man global content provider is also the one-man global freedom fighter. And Fox is not in the foxhole with you, but miles behind enemy lines. That's, you know, that's not entirely uh, fair. Uh, I I don't think it's cowardice. Uh, is the reason uh, that uh, I'm not on Fox. I would say that the thing is Fox does a certain kind of show very well, and that's the kind of show they do. And everybody on Fox uh, does that kind of show, unless you're like the number one guy, Tucker. Tucker does his own thing. But it took Tucker years of doing you know, more conventional Fox shows before he finally... Uh, came up with this format that um, enabled him to break through to another level. And what Fox does, it, it does very, very well. Whatever you, whatever you feel about it, Fox does Fox-type shows uh, better than anybody. Anyway, George continues, what struck me as the program went on was that the big rig truckers really are fighting for a life of freedom for their families, while the intergenerational venality of our, of our elite just take everything as naturally belonging to them. What they fail to see is that they're not just self-proclaimed intergenerational elites, but intergenerational whores for sale to the highest bidder. Or maybe they see that and they don't care. That was one of the interesting points that Peter Schweitzer made. When he was talking about first the Trudeau family's relationship with China and then the Biden and Bush family's relationship with China is the way that China China is always thinking of the long term. So it's not as if they want to rent a politician just for a couple of years. But if you can buy a political dynasty or dynasty, that's even more advantageous to them. And that was... And and uh, interesting, and I think it's it's worth you know again uh, uh, something somebody said on the show when I was complaining about that half a million pounds uh, to fly Liz Truss to Australia, and uh, somebody wrote in and said, well, when you take in her entourage, it and probably if they'd all bought business class seats to Australia, it would probably have come to about £320,000. So what's the difference with half a million? So round, let's round it up by £180,000. That's why you wind up, that's how you wind up with the dump uh, uh, that the entire Western world is in, that it, kind of thinking. Our politicians are not meant to be like that. We should stop it. We should object to it on every front. No wonder they sit around at Davos making plans for everybody at the foot of the mountain. It's you, people saying things like that, who, en- who encourage this kind of thinking. It, it, it's just, it, it, there's not going to be any future for any of us. We're dying. I hate to get to the happy up some this early in the show, but we're dying. Our societies are dying. Because sensible people think it's normal to round up Liz Truss's airfare by £150,000. She shouldn't, this, there's no, and the idea that, by the way, that the entourage has to fly business class is preposterous. 
These are stupid things. And and the the problem is that that's how you get. Oh, there's no way we we we've looked, we can't cut anything in the budget. It's that's how that thinking starts. David Hagen writes, Mark, what is your take on the Freedom Convoy heading to Ottawa? David Hagen, go and uh, watch the uh, tape of my television show from a couple of hours ago. I did uh, the first twenty minutes on that convoy which I believe is more coverage. That's me on a television station in London, England, giving more coverage to that convoy uh, than the combined (laughs) newsrooms of CBC, CTV and Global. So go and have a look at that before you you, uh, come back to me on that. Uh, Douglas says, Mark, what is your position on marijuana? I don't even know why anyone would ask me this. Both its legalization and its use. Isn't our country already numbed out enough? Well, you know, we're we're pathetic. Uh, It's why libertarians are, on the whole, are no use, because... uh, the if you the they're in favor of open borders and the legalization of marijuana and you know the the open borders will cost you everything in society and it seems to me a high price to pay for the legalization of marijuana i think everybody's stupid actually not everybody but uh, you know uh, there are there are enough stoners we don't need any more stoners. I mean, if you think that what the Western world needs right now is more stoners. Now, I'm, I'm a great believer in liberty, and I despise the war on drugs because it has corrupted law enforcement first and foremost. So we have these stupid situations, you know, where an undercover DEA team is is staking out an undercover state police team uh, that are uh, uh, that are uh, that's staking out an undercover ATF team. That's the stupidity. Uh, it's utterly corrupted American law enforcement because American law enforcement is so big. Uh, that in turn has corrupted a lot of the uh, countries that serve as staging posts for drug traffic. So I'm not in favor of the war on drugs just because of its corrupting effect. But the fact of the matter is the the issue is is, uh, largely American appetites. And I, I think I just think it's pathetic. I understand it. Almost everyone. Tucker and I actually talk about this when we get together and, and 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 talk about the parts of America we know well. I'm like I'm always complaining to him that, you know, when I first came to New Hampshire, the, the guy, it was a middle-aged guy, used to shingle my uh, roof, re-shingle my roof. He's now 88 and I worry about him because he's not quite so nimble when he's up on the roof re-shingling it. And I worry he's 88 and he really shouldn't be doing this anymore. But his middle-aged son is a pothead and his young grandson is on heroin or fentanyl. I mean, this is absolutely terrible what's happened. We've debauched our own human capital. And I think what I would like is something that would help us get smarter. 
and more marijuana isn't actually going to do it. Alexander writes, I think Stephen Breyer just waved his constitution at us. Funny. This is in reference to the Supreme Court Justice Breyer who announced his retirement. I think I speculated on this a few months back that the 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 thing now is they've all figured out Biden is pledged to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court, and he boxed himself in on that even further today. Well, uh, what black woman would be great on the U.S. Supreme Court? Oh, well, it, oh I had completely forgotten she's actually standing next to you, Joe. And that would be Kamala Harris. And that would free up Joe Biden uh, to move Hillary into the vice presidency. And then at a certain point, uh, Hillary will invoke the whatever it is, the 25th Amendment, and she will have reversed the result of the 2016 election because she will now be Madam President. And that's what ultimately what they want to do. Eric Dale writes, hey, Mark and fellow club members, I just did my taxes this week. And this year, I'll be paying Uncle Sam and Auntie Iowa a big chunk of change. The establishment GOP seems to make tax cuts. The only part of the platform they attempt to make any real effort into enacting, yet despite two Republican presidents with a GOP Congress in my adult life, my taxes have never been higher and government spending keeps breaking records. How is it that a country founded on a tax rebellion insists on taking so much of the debased currency I managed to acquire. I think a few years ago, this would have been, before I started saying, don't wave your constitution at me, I used to like to say on Rush, you know, George III wouldn't have done this to you. I think we were going to have that (laughs) made up into a T-shirt at some point because, you know, George III, if he were running against Obama and John McCain, uh, George III would be the small government candidate. Um, but uh, the the reason, Eric, is the expectations, the expectations of government. And obviously now we're not going to be, basically we've blown through. Do you realize in the last three years we've added basically another $10 trillion to the debt. I think in late 2018, the federal debt was just $20 trillion. It's now gone up to $30 trillion. And if you look at the way Joe Biden is spending, uh, do you want to take bets on how soon before we hit $40 trillion? You know, it's easy. To, the, the thing about it is it's now so big, uh, nobody can comprehend it. And because it's made up of all these little, like that little thing I said about the rounding up of £150,000, uh, the bigger it gets, the more people say, well, there's not much point doing anything about this or, you know, this uh, $3 million because $3 million doesn't make any difference to the debt. And uh, uh, pretty soon, you know, $20 billion doesn't make any difference to the debt. These are, this, is, this, is a, uh, this is a suicidal move by the United States. Um, bas- basically, the, again, the spending, the COVID splurge, has made uh, the the whole question of the federal debt 
even even uh, past it made it even further beyond the realm of reality. Uh, Robert Fox um, and uh, I will I will say this I will say this that it is the expectations. One, it's the expectations from the government. Now, the most basic one since COVID came along two years ago is that people expect the government to keep them alive, whatever it takes. Now, if you go back to consumption in the 19th century, you'd just be wandering along. Uh, you were perfectly healthy, or so you thought. And then you started coughing up blood and you're like, oh, no, now I've got it. And that's it. You've got to account for that in everything you do for the life that remains for you. And nobody thought you can read accounts of because all kinds of famous people had consumption, all kinds of famous writers or writers uh, spouses had consumption. So there's lots of accounts of it. Nowhere in any of those accounts do people say, well, I feel the government should be doing more. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or Justin Trudeau should be doing more for me. Nobody said that. And actually, they didn't say it at the time of the Spanish flu, although there were more public health measures enacted just because we were all coming out of the Great War. And so the government had wartime powers and uh, was governing at a, you know, a more obtrusive way than it would in peacetime. But that is the basic change in the equation. I think, as I said, in After America, that if you, the, the idea that the government is responsible for your health care changes the whole equation of everything. Robert Fox says, no question, just a comment. Love the time zone recitation at the top of the Q&As. Never fails to make me laugh. Imagining there are Newfoundlanders traveling to Tehran for the half-hour time zone. You would be surprised. You would be surprised, Robert. You just take it once, once the COVID restrictions are off. Book yourself a two-week bargain break in Coombe. And you'll be surprised how many Newfoundlanders you run into. Leanna Schwartz writes, Dear Mark, do you think our elections have a chance because of the alleged internet connection from the voting machines? I have stood on endless lines in order to exercise my right and privilege to vote in New York City and realize it was for naught. I am now living in Florida and will vote regardless. But do you think whatever the cheating can we ever can we overcome by sheer numbers? P.S. We love you. And are so grateful for you. That's very kind of you, Leanna. I should go through your letter and I will just explain the things that other people would find odd. Uh, These are people, I'm not just talking about people from Canada or from Sweden or from Italy, but I'm also talking about people from uh, Botswana or uh, Mauritius uh, or from India. You say, do you think our elections have a chance because of the alleged internet connection from the voting machines? Well, you you shouldn't worry about the internet connection. You should worry about the voting machines. There shouldn't be voting machines. Now, people go on about Dominion voting machines stealing the election for Trump. That's a Canadian company, and as the... Uh, 
the head of the Electoral Commission in Canada tweeted out, those voting machines are not used in Canadian elections. So you've got a, you've got a Canadian machine that uh, couldn't be used in a Canadian election. They, uh, you, you can, some provinces, I'll, I'll be specific here, some provinces use machines to count the votes, but they don't use the machines for the actual votes. Uh, and and these are the most obviously it doesn't work. I mean, if if you were saying, well, you know, the thing is, uh, the paper ballots is all very well, uh, but uh, but uh, we, we you know it's much more efficient. It's much quicker. Okay, why are your elections? And you say you lived in New York State. Uh, New York State, we had a congressional race that wasn't decided for over three months. You know, that's worse than Sudan. So you've got the machines and it doesn't make anything quicker because you have the slowest results in the developed world and indeed in much of the undeveloped world. So that's one, number one. Now you say, I've stood on endless lines. That's the other thing. That's the other thing uh, that is interesting. Um, polling stations. You have far fewer polling stations per capita than any other Western nation. Now, that's very odd. Now, I live in a rural district uh, in a, you know, in a small town. So there's just a few hundred voters. So they all go and vote in the school gym. And OK, then you, you might happen to hit rush hour. So there'll be three people ahead of you. But there's not going to be more than three people ahead of you. Now, when they have in these... In, in these Democrat-controlled cities, polling stations backed up. That's a choice. That's a choice. Now, again, this is a country whose federal debt alone is $30 trillion. So that spends money, blows through money on F, that can get bazillions of dollars, that can turn the Taliban into the eighth best-equipped military on the planet. But it hasn't got money for enough polling stations. Don't you find that odd? I, I'm just fine. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that as an as a foreigner that I find that a bit, just a little bit odd. Just a little bit odd. Then you say, uh, "I'm now living in Florida and will vote regardless." But do you think whatever the cheating, we can um, overcome by sheer numbers? Now I think the cheating. Uh, went on in six Democrat cities in six swing states, and it was largely old-fashioned cheating, moving boxes around in the middle of the night. So not a an operation involving... It wasn't... It, the election was... Whatever one... As I've said, I don't believe in voting machines, but I don't think the election was stolen by machines, and I think all that rubbish about... Venezuelans and Chinese and the uh, and the and the votes being transmitted to Spain and Germany to be counted all that rubbish that's not what it was it's democrats who stole the election the old fashioned way by driving votes around in the middle of the night now there's there's places like Burkina Faso for example where they just did a coup i wouldn't be surprised to hear that in Burkina Faso you know this week's president for life uh, had votes driven around in pickup trucks in the middle of the night. But in civilized society, 
votes are counted where they cast. And this is, again, where the parochialism of the American right uh, wow, well, we've got the greatest, uh, this is the greatest, you know, you can have the greatest constitution in the world, but if you've got the worst election uh, operation in the world, it doesn't make any difference. So right now, Leanna, you have to overcome by sheer numbers because you have this awful, ghastly, stupid means of counting votes that no other system, and the mail-in ballots for the French. <laughs> we got nothing to learn from the French. They're the cheesy surrender bunkers. Yeah, well, in 1974, I think it was, they experimented with mail-in voting, and there was so much fraud from the places you'd expect fraud, like Corsica, that they never tried it again. They never tried it again. But you, and all these Democrats who say, oh, we'd like to be more like Europeans. Oh, that's very interesting. I love Europeans. I'm sophisticated, too. I'd like to be sophisticated and European. So could we have the Danish election system? Because they've never had any. For oh, no, no, no. That's not what I meant. I was thinking of, uh, you know, some nice restaurants, not the election system. It's pathetic. Pathetic. Uh, Dale Owen says, dear Mark. Uh, what do you think are the underlying demographic and social changes that made possible the destruction of civil liberties and, in short, the signification of the West in the last two years? An ageing population, which means risk aversion, the feminization of society, which means conformism and compliance with authority, the decline of rugged individualism, the growth of dependency upon the state. What's your take? Well, I don't think it I I don't think it's uh as narrow as dependency upon the state, Dale. I think it's more to do with expectations. And uh as I said earlier, and you know, I love rugged individualism, but really in a function functioning society, individualism doesn't need to be that rugged. It just has to be something more than than the general level of compliance and prostration that we have seen from tens of millions of our fellow citizens in these in these last two years. I think the aging of the population cannot be overstated, though. This this again and it goes i think too with a loss of faith this this so we have changed our conception of society uh which we used to think of as a stream a stream that flows from the past to the present to the future and instead we live in the moment and we wish as goethe's faust did to hold the moment so we live in a hyper-present tense, and we have the what one of the most interesting things to me was the way the churches uh, in the UK uh, basically petitioned the government to close them down. Now we've seen exceptions to that. That pastor in Alberta that I interviewed on Fox and one or few, one or two other pushbacks. But basically, uh, in in Britain in particular, the churches were gung-ho for being shut down. Uh, and it, I, think that, I think that is somehow at the heart of it, because it was an acknowledgement that 
the, the churches were kind of conceding that they didn't matter. And what was what's unnerving about that is that if you accept that they don't matter, then you're also accepting that there is no transcendent purpose to society, in which case there is only the present tense, and people will uh, just trade anything in order to be kept alive. I mean, at this stage, China has actually taken over the world. We're all living, in the most basic sense, we're all living in a Chinese world because we have massive restrictions on freedom of movement. Uh, that's the most. That's the most obvious thing. Just like the just like the Chinese do. And the fact is that the majority of people, I mean, we get this all the, I get this all the time, even when I'm on a supposedly right wing outlet like GB News. And, oh, I don't agree with you there. There's, there's, the experts know what's best. They, we, if we should follow the science. Justin Trudeau just said today we shouldn't follow truckers. We should, uh, even though the truckers are the ones who've kept things going these last two years, they're the ones who've what little there is in the story is got there by truckers, but we shouldn't follow them. No, 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 no. We need to follow the scientists. Well, the, the same scientists who are doing gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute, yes, well, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's just misinformation. It's, it's a at the heart. People, you know, are people who don't believe in anything, as most people in post-Christendom no longer do, uh, as one of our commenters said, existing is easier than living. And I do think, actually, since you, since you brought it up, I'll just mention, I'll just throw this in. I think the iPhone is, uh, does the iPhone, does the smartphone trump existence? Because you know how weird the world is now. People are outside. You still see occasionally there's a few parts of the world where people are permitted to leave their homes, go out on the streets, mingle. What do they do when they mingle? They, they look down at their telephones. What are, what are they looking at on their telephone? Oh, they're, they're uh, downloading some Instagram thing from some pop star or whatever. It's an amazing, it's a very Huxley and Aldous Huxley, brave new world. That that uh, that that a life lived through the te one's telephone trumps real life, and I think that's one of the things that is. An, and as the Chinese make all the telephones and control all the telephones, <laughs> that also plays into their hand. Anyway, that's a very interesting uh, big picture question, and I will give it a little uh, further thought. Dale, but thank you very much for that. Dale is a Welshman uh, living in Milan. And as I always say, uh, that's uh, probably more agreeable than being a Milanese living in Wales. Uh, this is uh, Mark Stein, your Clubland Q&A on a Thursday. We'll have more of your questions coming up. But first, a sense of of perspective. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. A papacy ends, a world court is in session, 
and the United States Army strikes up the band. It's January 1922. A hundred years from today. Barely 12 hours after the evening papers in London and Paris erroneously reported his death and the Reichstag suspended proceedings out of respect, the Pope is dead. Benedict XV fell into a coma and died at around 6 in the morning in Vatican City. His Holiness was 67 and had been pontiff for just seven years. A procession of the Palatine Guard, the Swiss Guard and others has borne his body through the Apostolic Palace to the Papal Throne Room where he will lie in state before burial in St. Peter's Basilica. The so-called World Court, more properly known as the Permanent Court of International Justice, has held its first session at the Peace Palace at The Hague. Nine judges and three deputy judges elected Bernard Loder of the Netherlands Supreme Court as the first president of the World Court. Maybe it's time to pack up your old kit bag for good and stick it away in the attic. According to the respected French war hero, General Marie-Eugène Debeny, the next war will be fought with, quote, tanks, aeroplanes and gas served by specially trained crews but not by millions of infantry. The front lines will be manned only by skeleton detachments serving as observers of what's going on, while machines and chemicals do all the fighting. Old-fashioned warring in China, after only a month in office, Liang Shiyi has been forced to resign as Premier of the Republic of China. His dismissal is the result of a conflict between two warlords, Wu Peifu of the Zhili clique and Liang supporter Zhang Zhuolin of the Fengtian clique. There is talk of an impending Zhili Fengtian war.
In India, at a demonstration by Bengali independence supporters, police opened fire on the crowd. Hundreds are said to be dead, perhaps thousands. Some were hit by bullets, but many more were trampled to death in the panic that followed. Preparations for the new Irish Free State continue. The Dublin Gazette, the equivalent of the London Gazette, the official government newspaper of record in Ireland since 1705, has published its final issue and its offices have been turned over to the provisional government of the Irish Free State. The Beggars Bush Barracks, just south of the River Liffey in Dublin, have been turned over by the British Army to the new so-called National Army comprised of former Irish Republican Army soldiers who now support the Anglo-Irish settlement and the new Free State. Have you seen the recent photo play Get Rich Quick Wallingford? For some picture-goers in the United States, it was the last thing they did see just before 9pm during a showing at the Knickerbocker Theatre in Washington, the roof of the Picture Palace collapsed under the weight of 29 inches of snow that had fallen during a blizzard. The roof fell down upon the audience in the theatre balcony, and the balcony in turn fell down on those in the seats below. 96 people are dead and 133 are injured. Among those dead is one-time Congressman Andrew Jackson Barchfeld of Pennsylvania. He was 58. Mr. Barchfeld's former colleagues in the United States House of Representatives have voted 230 to 119 for an anti-lynching bill that would make lynching a federal crime. It is not clear when the bill will come before the Senate. During the late World War, General John Pershing heard many European military bands and decided America should have one of its own. Now the head of the army has established the United States Army Band. Its first 33 members have reported to Fort Hunt to begin practicing. In more conventional military deployments, a detachment of U.S. Marines has disembarked from USS Galveston at Corinto, Nicaragua, in order to protect America's embassy in the capital, Managua. We reported earlier this month on 14-year-old Leonard Thompson, who became the first person anywhere on the planet to receive an injection of insulin to treat his diabetes. It was given to him by James Collip at Toronto General Hospital. Unfortunately, young Leonard had an allergic reaction. He has now been given a second injection, and this time it was successful. In sports news, the University of Illinois football team has disqualified nine of its players after confirmation that they accepted payment to play in a semi-professional game in Carlinville, Illinois, late last year. Each player is said to have received $200, which is not to be sneezed at for a college student. Only 66 of the 1,200 seats at New York's Aeolian Hall were filled when the English pianist Myra Hess walked out on the stage for her unheralded American debut. Yet the few who were there all left, knowing they had heard something extraordinary.
As the critic Richard Aldrich put it in the New York Times, Miss Hess is a true interpreter and makes her interpretations deeply engrossing through their vitality, their finesse and subtle qualities, their intensity and glowing warmth. In Schumann's Papillon and much else. Another premiere, Carl Nielsen's Symphony No. 5, was completed just nine days before its first performance in Copenhagen, and that left insufficient rehearsal time. It was a mixed verdict from the critics. They didn't care for the second movement, but they did like the first. Do you know the composer Felix Sporovsky? This is his piece for violin and piano, Adoration. Well, just as Nielsen's Symphony No. 5 was getting underway in Copenhagen, Mr. Borowski was shot at with a pistol and then beaten with it in his Chicago apartment. His musical secretary has been arrested and has confessed to the crime, telling the police that the composer had ruined his career as a pianist and that he had, quote, nothing to live for. Viscount Bryce ventured a long way from his native Ulster. He travelled across the Russian Empire and up Mount Ararat above the tree line where he found a piece of hand-hewn timber he believed to have come from Noah's Ark. He retraced the steps of Alexis de Tocqueville through the United States but found democracy in America somewhat diminished from its Jacksonian glory days and predicted ever-widening inequality in the decades ahead. He served as Chief Secretary for Ireland and then his Britannic Majesty's Ambassador to the United States where he made many friends from President Roosevelt down. Lord Bryce is dead at 83. Liszt's first Hungarian Rhapsody, played by the Berlin Philharmonic, conducted by Arthur Nikisch. Mr. Nikisch was born in Hungary, but his talent took him around the world to important positions in London, Boston and Berlin. He became one of the pioneers of modern conducting, admired by Toscanini, Sir Henry Wood, Wilhelm Furtwängler and Fritz Reiner, the young conductor of the Cincinnati Symphony, who says... 
It was Arto Nikish who told me that I should never wave my arms in conducting and that I should use my eyes to give cues. Maestro Nikish is dead at 66. Elizabeth Cochran Seaman is better known as Nellie Bly, a pioneering American journalist who reported on the appalling conditions in the Women's Lunatic Asylum on what is now Welfare Island in New York by going undercover as an inmate. She then shaved 10% of Phileas Fogg's time by going around the world in 72 days on assignment for the New York world. Nellie Bly is dead at 57. And that's the way of the world, January 1922. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. And don't forget our monthly anthology edition of the 100 Years Ago show, which will be coming up at Stein Online uh, this Sunday. So I hope you'll join us for that. Let's get back to your questions on our Clubland Q&A. Owen Morgan wrote, Is Mark Drakeford or Jacinda Ardjaf? Hinder Ardern, the single stupidest politician on the planet right now. For those of you who don't know, Mark Drakeford is the first minister of the Principality of Wales, whereas uh, Jacinda Ardern is the uh, prime minister of the uh, realm of New Zealand. And uh, I'd have to give that one to Jacinda because... (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure anybody outside of Wales has actually heard of... I mean, that's not true. A few people in England, uh, possibly Scotland, Northern Ireland, have heard of Mark Drakeford outside of Wales. But Jacinda Ardern is an extremely influential person. She she uh, is one of those pin-up progressives to uh, progress, so-called progressive-minded types. And so I'd have to give that to Jacinda Ardern. I mean, there's something I find. There's something extraordinary. I mean, what's. I can't get over this the way New Zealand now is still committed to zero COVID. Zero COVID. The country's been locked. I mean, imagine this if the, the Warsaw Pact would still be in business if they'd had this around in the 1980s, and Eric Honecker could just have said to the people of East Germany, oh, yes, well, we're going for zero COVID. That's why we, I'm sorry, we'd love to open the Berlin Wall, but we absolutely, imagine Ceausescu, if he just said on that balcony, comrades, uh, a new variant has arrived, but if we just give it another couple of weeks, we will reach zero COVID and all will be well. Imagine if he'd just done that for his balcony moment. Uh, the stupidity, Owen, is not Jacinda's. The stupidity is the people of New Zealand uh, for putting up with it. Brian from Minneapolis. I mean, how long is it going to go on? These are miserable. I feel, you know, I'm, I don't, um, these, these days I don't, you know, think about a lot of things other than beyond a very small circle of people. But 
Uh, my own kids, for example, I think of what I was doing when I was their age and how constrained and narrowed their lives are by all this, uh, by all this uh, COVID rubbish. It's a terrible thing. People actually do need to do those truckers. You don't need a big rig like that. We should all do what those truckers do and just refuse to play along. Just refuse to play along. You know, um, where I do my shows from, uh, the, uh, the, there is, uh, you know, the mask mandate comes, the mask mandate goes. I don't pay any attention to it anymore. Screw them. I don't really care. I'd be happy if these crazy people want to want to shoot me for defying the mask mandate. Go ahead. If this is the world you're building, who wants to live in it anyway? It's nothing. It's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. Uh, Justin Trudeau is isolating because he's been exposed to COVID. He said he's had he's been double vaccinated. He's had the booster shot. Has he had another booster shot? He's got no protection. We're genuflecting. You know, the the, the, the thing is, the thing about it is you can't follow the science because the science is like around a crazy golf. It's like trying to follow a pinball machine. Bing, bing, bang, bing, boom, bang. That's the science you're following. It's all, and this veneration of science. <laughs> this, <laughs> I'd, I'd be, you'd be better. <laughs> Someone should do a new version of the emperor's new clothes. The tailors arrive to make the beautiful suit for him. And in fact, it's just three masks. <laughs> and then the guy is just walking around nude with three magic masks that tell the world how wise he is because he follows the science and they will prevent him from all infection if he just walks around with these three masks. Speaking of which, Jan Sheboot writes, keep exposing the human cost of the authoritarianism of COVID. The elderly couple split up when she was in hospital dying while her husband watched through the window. It was a sight almost too painful to see. If you've ever been at somebody's deathbed, it's, it's important for both parties. Just holding the hand. And as, so, as the body closes down, which is, which is what it does, at a certain point, the body accepts its fate and ceases resisting. And as the body starts closing down, the squeeze of a hand uh, that tells you somebody is still there inside and knows that you're there too, this is all terribly important for both parties. And the idea... That the the that you can be denied that accepting that is really uh, is really disturbing. It should never have happened. That uh, do you think, says Jan, we will ever get to the point where we rip off the masks and say enough? I hope so. They should actually start doing that, having mask rip off days. Uh, Walt Trimmer says. I'm haunted by your prediction of bloody violence in our future. Uh, I think this is a reference to something I said a few days ago about uh, America on its present trajectory. You know, people think about, I don't know what people have in mind when they think about decline. 
uh, national decline, decline from greatness, decline from empire. I suppose they think of certain European countries, and if, uh, as I talked about from time to time, if you've been ever ha if you've been having a uh, sacatorta and a Viennese coffee in a uh, in a in a little uh, cafe in Vienna, and you look around, and think, oh, actually, uh, decline looks rather good. <laughs> What's the big deal? It'd be lovely. And and America's decline isn't going to be like that because, in part, because of the demographic transformation. When you're just importing every day, every day, uh, people who have broken into the country. And and we're supposed to be and and again the, the the right talks rubbish about this too that somehow the idea that having broken into the country having come across the Rio Grande somehow just by being in America uh, the magic of the con Constitution will will somehow penetrate to them and they will become law-abiding, functioning Americans. No, they won't. You're basically, uh, it is le grand remplacement. One of the great differences between the United States and France right now is that their, France has got a presidential candidate who actually has a sporting chance of getting into the second round who's, who's going around talking about le grand remplacement. Here, Tucker mentioned le grand remplacement on air with me uh, on, um, what was the show? Fox News Primetime. I was interviewing him, and he brings up the Great Replacement, and everyone demands that he be fired, and every uh, Republican politician watching said, oh, yeah, Tucker Carlson said Great Replacement, and they wanted to get him fired, so I'm not going to talk about any stuff like that. <laughs> So you can never you can't even address honestly what's going on here which is that at an age in an age of uh, automation that has been accelerated by the covid because you don't want ooh, those uh, filthy uh, menus that have got all kinds of fingerprints all over them what a germ spreader that thing is so we we have to have more automated ordering you know you, you use your telephone uh, you download the app you order there and the food uh, is served up in one of those old automat things and you get it and you take it and you but so although all the cheap service jobs and everything are all being eliminated and we're still importing millions and millions of unskilled immigrants so i do believe that it's it's not going to be vienna obviously it's not going to be lisbon it's going to be extremely violent and these these stories that break your heart on the news, you know, where someone just goes to work and gets stabbed or shot for no reason. They hand over the wallet, they hand over the purse, and then they're killed anyway, just for kicks. Um, so Walt Trimmer says, we already have riots, crime, blood, and violence. What do you see? Bosnia, zombie apocalypse, or blue and grey armies squaring off across a cornfield? We're not going to be seeing that last one, Walt. I think, I think, I think uh, something closer to zombie, or even Bosnia. Bosnia was a very particular set of circumstances, and a kind of uh, if you if you look at Mostar where, uh, I think I've talked about this before, but where Muslims um, and Christians had 
lived together for uh, centuries and intermarried and all the rest of it. Uh, and and a lot of those Muslims weren't averse to a tipple or two after a certain point in the afternoon. And then, of course, uh, suddenly Yugoslavia implodes and the usual chaps start walking around a lot of money and radicalizing the mosques and all the rest of it. And next thing you know, they've blown up that bridge that's been there for centuries and uh, the Christians and Muslims are hermetically sealed from each other. I don't even think it's like that because I don't think... In certain American cities right now, you even have the degree of conviviality that once existed. Uh, I don't think you could ever say uh, that. So it's not. It's sort of starting off from a worse place than Mostar. So I think zombie apocalypse, uh, Mad Max on I-95, that's the way to look at it. Patty says, I missed a lot. Since October, I'm watching GBN, GB News, now that Mark is a regular, and I'm listening to Mark on Tuesdays with James Golden. Yeah, that's Mr. Snurdly, and I'm on with him at 4 p.m. Eastern time on legendary New York radio station 77 WABC. Is it work overload preventing appearances on Tucker, or is it something about Fox I missed? No, I've, I've talked about this and I don't want to talk about it over and over. But uh, I came back. I'd been overseas for a bit, so I hadn't been on Fox for a while. And I came back. And I think the first thing back I did, I was asked to talk about, was the pregnant man emoji. And then the next thing I think was the, uh, what was it, uh, Andrew Cuomo's dog. Now, this is at the time of the fall of Kabul, which I thought, frankly, Fox dis covered disgracefully, actually. I thought the night before the fall of Kabul, Fox was on the level of delusion was unwatchable uh, for an American fiasco. As I said, not it wasn't a Vietnam moment. Again, the parochialism doesn't help. I think in sort of terms of great power decline, it was much closer to a Suez moment, but you can have arguments on that. But the thing about it is they weren't covering it with anything useful. And um, and so I just, and, and uh, I didn't get to talk about uh, the fall of Kabul, or Kabul, as we can all go back to saying now, the fall of Kabul. Um, I didn't get to talk about that. Uh, so uh, I just got, I was just being asked in to talk about the pregnant man emoji and Andrew Cuomo's dog. And I just thought, look, I'm 137 years old. There, This is, for someone to be funny about Andrew Cuomo's dog or uh, the pregnant man emoji, you can get some 23-year-old to do shtick about that, do jokes about that. But you don't really need uh, a guy who's 137. And actually, it's unbecoming. Uh, for a guy who's 137. And I did, I started to note it. And, and so what I was becoming by doing those hits on Andrew Cuomo's dog, people were getting an idea of me that isn't who I am, isn't anything like who I am. And in fairness, that never happened with Rush. You know, I, I'd be there for three hours and you can't help but expose uh, 
large parts of who you really are if you're talking into a microphone for three hours. And But if you're just doing, you know, two-minute hit on Andrew Cuomo's dog or the pregnant man emoji, people think I, I felt it was actually damaging me. And anyway, so we couldn't, uh, I just walked away because I wasn't sort of getting anything that interested me. I was kind of bored. I was just bored by it. Just bored at talking crap for two minutes about Andrew Cuomo's dog. Got no desire to do it. And I will say one thing, you know, obviously it's very different. Uh, GB News has just started up. It's brand new and all the rest of it. But I will say what we talk about on the show is uh, far more engaging to me, so I'm more interested in doing it. And uh, and that's that's the main reason, uh, Patty. There's nothing I haven't fallen out with anyone. The the lady who runs Fox News, uh, Fox's primetime schedule, is a very clever and brilliant uh, lady in many ways. But uh, her, she sees me as the fellow who does Andrew Cuomo dog hits, and I don't. Uh, Melissa McClure says, I've had tears in my eyes watching the video coverage of the Canadian truckers and all their supporters. I know that some American truckers are headed north in support of the Canadian truckers, but I wonder if we will see American truckers organize and lead the charge in this country against tyranny. All the honest doctors and honest politicians, I can think of a couple, don't seem to be getting enough attention from the masses. Maybe having real people who do real jobs delivering real food and other products to the masses will get the attention of the masses. I know for a fact that if when those real people stop delivering those products, at least a few more people might pay better attention. Love your show. Keep on trucking. Well, thank you, Melissa. What this... Yeah, these guys have had, have kept things going for two years. These truckers, they're the only reason there's anything in the stores. There's not a lot in the stores because of bare shelves Biden and the broken down supply chain. Uh, but what there is in the stores is there for these guys. And then two years into this thing, they're told they have to get uh, they have to be double vaccinated. Now, I don't begrudge anyone uh, for whatever decision they reach on that. Some people because it's all it's a it's weighing the risks. You know, and if you have certain underlying conditions, then getting the Pfizer or the Moderna might be might make sense for you. Uh, although it makes less and less sense as the months go by. That's what's interesting here. Uh, and and it makes particularly little sense with Omicron. So the idea they bring this in just when Omicron has made a mockery of these vaccines, you know, I think they degenerate after eight weeks. It's what, 20 percent effective? Well, you know, and again, we have these things. We have this uh, contradictory evidence from other countries. Sweden has just said it's not going to give this these vaccines to kids under 12 because the risks are too great. On the other hand, the United States says, yeah, we're going to triple jab four-year-olds. 
Well, there should be no compulsion about any of this. People are entitled to say, well, hang on a minute. I thought you said follow the science. The science seems a bit contradictory here. And uh, what these Swedish scientists are saying uh, is kind of disturbing to me. So after two years of keeping things going, these Canadian truckers are told, no, we're going to screw you over. What was interesting is Justin Trudeau when he's saying they're extremists. There was somebody uh, uh, today who was uh, tweeting that, oh, you shouldn't give money to support these truckers because it will end up going to fund domestic terrorism. These are people who have flown. Look at Justin Trudeau, the way he's never met a working stiff. He's lived in his little cocoon as... uh, as uh, Pierre Trudeau's princeling, the little drama, the little, uh, you know, high school drama teacher blacking up and going, Mammy, singing, Rosie, you are my posy, to Rosemary Barton on the CBC. And I've never seen anything like this, that his contempt for people who embody the working class population of Canada, truck drivers, the way he dismisses them. Because he thinks now we've built, presumably he just lives in a bubble of diversity consultants and uh, native rights grievance mongers, that the idea that beyond that, beyond all these people in his little circle, there are, there are people who just like keep stuff going so that there's food for you to eat in the evening are completely unimportant. The contempt actually embodies a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, what's wrong with uh, the world. Uh, Michael J. from Colorado writes, Sorry I'm a little late sending this thought to you, Mark. With the Supreme Court selection now in the news 24-7, I imagine the Chinese and Russians popping the bottles of champagne, toasting something along these lines. Fantastic good fortune. The Americans will now be talking nonstop about the next Supreme Court justice. So ready up and here we go to take Taiwan and Ukraine. Yeah, I... As again, a line from I used to Tucker, however long ago it was, you know, I think it was one of the recent Supreme Court things. So Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett or whatever. Uh, But a judge's republic is a contradiction in terms. Brian from Minneapolis actually said, I seriously have no idea if the West knows what it wants. We point out the hypocrisy in Europe regarding how it handles Russia. But what about how we handle China? Germany wants protection from Russia. It gets their energy from them, just as we know China is an enemy, but we still buy their products at the quickie crap every day. How can we fight our enemy for real? when all we do is still do business with them as if they're our friends. Your thoughts, Mark? Well, I gave gave my thoughts on this the other night uh, when I actually observed on the telly that the relationship that uh, Germany has with Russia is, is exa- and you could say continental Europe as a whole has with Russia, is analogous to that of America <clears throat> to China. It's com- it's completely the same relationship. But we don't, you know, America has to start making things again or it's over. It's over. This idea we've learned, it, you can't, 
you know, unless you're one of those people, you're on the telephone, the telephone that is controlled increasingly by Chairman Xi and his buddies. And then it's got the pretty pictures flashing up all the time to distract you. But there are other people out there. There are people who aren't, don't do so much of that, nice little old ladies listening to NPR or whatever. And if they, at this stage, if they're insufficiently curious not to see what is happening, then frankly, they're, they, de- they deserve to go over the cliff with the remnants of Western civilization. You have to be willfully blind not to see what is going on. And also the evil of it. You can't buy, you can go to Walmart and buy your crap from Walmart, but it's made with slave labor. It's made by people who kill people. It comes from a society drenched in blood. And you've got to get over that. You've got to start making things again. This, there's no, nothing. This is just, this doesn't end except with the death of your country, America. America. That's one of the other reasons, you know, I find it, uh, people don't want to hear that. Oh, we're looking really good for November. (laughs) Then wait and see. (laughs) For heaven's sake, get real. Get real. You can't make nothing. Oh, we're all surprised. Oh, there's supply chain problems. Really? Uh, Supply chain problems. They didn't used to have that because the supply chain only stretched from the general store to the farm on the edge of town. Now the supply chain... Oh, look, there's a supply chain here and there's a supply chain there. Where do all these supply chains end up? Oh, China. And they're now supply chain problems. What do you think there's going to be? Just like, what do you think is going to be coming through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline when, uh, when, when uh, the uh, sanctions against Putin kick in? This is all pathetic. You've got to make stuff. Sorry, I know it's easier to be. You can be like Michelle Obama. You make 350 grand a year as a diversity consultant, uh, a, a job that's so important to the University of Chicago that when she leaves to become first lady, they don't even bother replacing her. And yes, it'd be great if we could all be 350 grand a year diversity consultants, but you've actually got to get off your ass and start making things again. Otherwise, this ends very badly and quicker than you think. Uh, that's, yeah. Oh, we got We must have something jollier, uh, jollier here. What do we, what do we got here? Let's see. There must be something, uh, jollier. Oh, um, well, I don't know how jolly it is, but the great uh, rock star Meatloaf died a few days ago, as many of you will know. And I had an extraordinary amount of requests to play a Meatloaf song. Well, you can imagine my thoughts on that. I'm the easy listening guy, and uh, it's really the fellows with the butch bumper music who should be uh, playing the Meatloaf. I did, in fact, uh, like him uh, enormously as a person. I met him once. And on another occasion, I was in the same room as him, and uh, he seemed to me very genuine. He wasn't, uh, as they say, working the room. He was as happy to chat to the janitor as to the 
Network Vice President, which is an appealing quality in an A-list celebrity. So I liked him a lot on my slender acquaintance with him. And I have a certain regard, too, for the chap who wrote all his hits, a fellow called Jim Steinman, who uh, died, I think, about nine months ago last year. Uh, And uh, Jim started out writing musicals, and he liked gothic subjects for his plots, uh, Wuthering Heights and Nosferatu, and the musicals really didn't go anywhere. Uh, So he gave his big gothic theatrical songs to Meatloaf and uh, to uh, Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Uh, You will know this... Uh, next song because it was a big hit for Celine Dion but Jim Steinman had written it years earlier and had uh, played it to Meatloaf and Meatloaf said this was the only song ever that on first hearing he broke down in tears Uh, and he couldn't wait to record it and Jim Steinman said no no it's a woman's song you're not getting it and Meatloaf persisted and eventually Jim Steinman wound up going to court to get an injunction preventing Meatloaf from recording it. Anyway, the years went by and Celine had her big hit with it and Meatloaf decides, well, it's time for him and a lady called Marion Raven to make the definitive version.
Coming Back to Me Now by Jim Steinman, who went to court to try to prevent Meatloaf recording that song. Meatloaf said that uh, his version, not Celine's, is the definitive version. And he said the song is really a love duet between him and Jim Steinman for all the years they worked together. Although you don't want to take it over literally because, as he put it, uh, I have no desire to French kiss, Jim. Rest in peace, Messrs. Steinman and Loaf. Where are we? Oh, it's all coming back to me. It's the end of the show. That's where we are. I will see you for the Friday edition of The Mark Stein Show, which airs live on GB News an hour earlier than Monday to Thursday. That's 7 p.m. GMT, 2 p.m. Eastern. So North Americans may prefer the midnight replay, which is 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, And then we'll have Rick's Flicks and our Song of the Week and other diversions over the weekend. Stay safe, stay free.
Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.